Welcome to Sonic's Flight, the podcast devoted to all things Sonics. Sonic's Flight is a monthly podcast discussing current events, news, and topics of interest to the Sonics community. We aim to entertain and educate builders and pilots of Sonic's aircraft designs, inspiring them to complete and operate their aircraft safely and efficiently. Welcome everyone to the Sonic's Flight podcast. This is episode number 19, Cross Country via Sonics. This episode will discuss the process of making those longer cross-country flights in your Sonics. We'll speak with famed Sonics pilot Kip Laurie about his cross-country flying and how he gets the most out of his YX for travel. So, Kip, now that I, I introduced you as the uh, famed cross-country flying, the bar has been set high, so don't disappoint us. YouTube has made me famous. Thank you. <laughs> All right, well, I'm your host, Jeff Schultz, uh, builder and pilot of Sonic 604 and Sonic's 1374. Joining us today is Gary Motley and John Gillis. John flies his YX from his eastern Colorado air park home and is best known for his custom modifications. Uh, my favorite are his tilt-back canopy, his, his cool tow brakes, his electric flaps, his very cool electric trim, uh, and all his other bods. John, uh, I hear you're back in the air and terrorizing the neighborhood. Yes, I am, and uh, trying to use my plane to commute to work, so I'm enjoying life. Oh, what is living how do living you, the dream. How do you commute to work? From well, Tell me about that. Well, I live in an air park, so the taxiway is my uh, the road in front of my house, and uh, I work about a mile from Centennial Airport in Denver, and so I land at Centennial, tie up at my old... Uh, flying clubs uh, line and get an uber to the office and what's the flight time for that 15 minutes and what's the drive time if you drive it 45 okay so that's pretty good and i guess the door to well door to door it's uh it's exactly the same because i gotta wait for the uber i gotta uh tie down the plane and all that but uh it's still a lot more fun how many days a week do you think uh you're going to be able to reliably fly Right now in the spring, it's been really windy down here, so I haven't been able to fly too much. I've gotten three trips in the last two weeks. I'm hoping that over the summer, uh, you know, dodging thunderstorms and hailstorms, maybe a couple times a week. Well, still, that's pretty good. That's I'd like to be able to do that. Um, I'm jealous. For me, by the time I drive to the airport, get the plane ready, park it at the at the uh, the other end. And then get to the office. It's probably twice as long to do that. Yeah, you kind of really have to be able to just either open your garage door or open your hangar door and jump in your mode of transportation. Yeah. Well, cool. Glad that's working well. Well, also joining us, uh, Gary Motley. Gary flies his AeroV powered Sonics Hound Dog. Flies out of Denver, Colorado. And uh, Gary is uh, another one of those types that's always flying somewhere or another. Uh, Gary has accumulated over 600 hours in his AeroV powered Sonics over the past five years, and uh, he uh, he definitely likes to fly those cross countries too. So, Gary, what have you been up to? Well, unfortunately, I didn't make the trip to Sun and Fun with you, and boy, was I bummed on that one. The weather here was just atrocious on the weekend, and then, of course, as it moved east towards you, there was just no way I was ever going to get there uh, without having to go to Canada first. So. Unfortunately, I'm sorry I missed that trip with you. 
Well, the weather was dicey for the first couple of days, and uh, it was like riding the the wave of weather uh, just to try to stay ahead of it. Yeah, it was good that you left a day early. I mean, had I had a couple extra days that I could have left early, I could have beaten all the front as well, but the timing just did not work out this year as much as I wanted it to. Well, there's uh, there's Oshkosh coming up, and then there's always next year, so we'll get it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For what it's worth, I flew 938 miles to Sun and Fun, seven legs, east, west, north, south, and never had a tailwind. <laughs> so. One of those years. I I did it, but it was a little discouraging. But anyway, just had to get that out there. <laughs> first first time ever. I threw at 140, and I saw about 115 the whole trip. I'm over it. Okay. Well, and, and uh, of course, that's the voice of, of Kip Laurie. So Kip is builder and pilot of YX-82. Uh, Kip is a corporate pilot in the Atlanta area. And uh, I guess because, Kip, you don't get enough flying during your day job, you just spend your free time flying your YX all over the country. So I don't know what's up with that. But Kip uh, has flown to all 48 lower states. Um, I guess I guess Hawaii is going to be the uh, crown jewel in your cap there, Kip. Working on it? <laughs> And is a he's a regular visitor to both AirVenture and Sun and Fun. And I think he told me it's like seven years in a row now. Yeah, I've done both seven years consecutively now. After, believe it or not, uh, finished the airplane in May of 2010, and Oshkosh was first. And then, so the next spring had to be Sun and Fun. So I've done seven consecutive of each. Don't know if I'll keep that up, but pretty good run so far. Yeah, no doubt. So as if uh, flying to all 48 wasn't enough, you just throw the whole seven consecutive of each in our face. So, thanks a lot. I'm feeling uh, worse about myself already. Well, you know, it's when that time of year rolls around, I, I'm always like, well, well, when I'm at the event, I'm usually like, okay, maybe I'm done this year. Next year's a break. And then you fly for a year around the same neighborhood and you just want to do it all again. Yeah, it's we'll not see. Like a short term memory problem. <laughs> that it could be. Just too much of the same scenery, I think. But, yeah. Got to, got to go somewhere, and I'll get into it later, but everywhere I go is a little adventure, and that's what I like. I always try to hit new airports. And... All right, well, we just talked about uh, Sun and Fun, so let's just uh, spend a minute and kind of just do a quick wrap-up for Sun and Fun. So, uh, Gary, we, we, we are about yours. Um, I'll, I guess I'll hit mine last. Uh, Kip, why don't you tell us about your Sun and Fun trip? Tell us about your trip, and then tell us uh, what you thought was cool. Um. I already mentioned the uh, headwinds, but uh, then there was the thunderstorms, the lightning, the 20-knot crosswind, landing at Cedar Key on the way down, and then tying down in the rain. But that was pretty good. And then I actually commuted to Sun and Fun from Tampa this year. Elected to not camp. And Tampa Executive is 16 nautical miles straight west of lakeland so it was just a real short flight over and i'm using all my hilton points and didn't have to do the tent thing and so it was over in the morning and then back in the evening so that was kind of new and different got the presidential suite there at the hilton and life was pretty good and if you take off off 27 uh from lakeland you're back in about eight minutes yeah, you, so, were, um, you were commenting it was shorter. The flight was shorter than the taxi to the tie down spot. Yeah, very much. Very <laughs> long taxi this year. Very hot cylinders. 
but uh, other than that, it was pretty cool. Just uh, you know, saw some of the Adsby gadgets that were kind of interesting, but uh, talked to a lot of people, and um, that was the highlight of it. it was just uh, really just seeing old friends, but kind of more of the same. Yeah, and I had a pretty good trip coming down, but uh, you know, left out of Mississippi. Uh, could only get as far as as the uh, northern Florida area before that line of thunderstorms just sort of cut me off. And uh, so spent the night along the trip and uh, finished the finished the uh, flight up in the morning. And that actually worked out really well. It was pretty good weather Wednesday morning coming on in. Of course, Wednesday night, like you mentioned, we had some pretty severe weather that came through in the in the early morning hours, the early Thursday morning. And at mm-hmm. one point, we were in the tent kind of holding on to the four corner poles, keeping it from blowing over because it was pretty exciting for about 10 minutes. I think that's the weather I was landing at Cedar Key. Mm, yeah. Same weather, yeah. So I managed to pick up a bit of a, uh, what started off as some, just some allergies from all the pollens blowing around Florida. <laughs> now I've got a nice chest cough to remember it by, so if I'm hacking up a lung here, uh, I apologize in advance. I uh, had a good trip, um, good visit there, got to see the guys in the Sonics booth. Met up with a bunch of different builders. It wasn't um, a lot of Sonics builders and pilots there, but I did run into several. So um, Paul and his son, Paul Montebello and his son were there. Carl Eldridge and his 1X was there. A bunch of others who were either um, building actively or a couple of guys that were actually thinking about building, and they came there to check the Sonics out. So it was kind of cool to talk to those guys. I had a nice little chat at the home-built tent. And if anybody's never been to Sun and Fun and camped in the home-built camping, uh, Mary puts on an excellent hospitality tent. I mean, really rolls out the red carpet. So if you go, that's yep. definitely the way to do it. Definitely. Agreed. <laughs> so talking talking to Mark in the booth, um, he was saying that there was a lot of interest in the B model in Red 1. A uh, lot of people kind of digging over it. A lot of good questions. And surprisingly, quite a bit of interest in the jet also. He said that he uh, thinks they might have even sold one at the show. So hopefully they're mm-hmm. selling that next production run out. Yeah, I heard Betty say about the same thing. There was a lot of interest in the jet. So, so when you get tired of you know your YX kip, you can always just uh, trade it in for uh, subsonics. I'm well, working on that. We're I'm hoping that the, the production kit price will, will decrease just like it does in the electronics <laughs> world. But I wouldn't hold your breath. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to a couple partners here. <laughs> that would be the ultimate flight club airplane. You know, you really would have to fight over who gets to fly it next. Yeah. Well, I think at what a 45 minute uh, endurance, I think everybody can fly it the same day. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, Gary, uh, Centennial Airport's got to have a lot of deep pockets there. I'm sure you could rustle up some investors and people who want to be part of your <laughs> brand new Subsonics flying club. Oh, I'm working on it. Um, you know, we have the whole uh, boom jet. Those all those engineers have to have to want to have their own jet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the way these development projects come and go, they're going to need something they can actually fly. Because there's there's a there's a long list of failures that never make it off the drawing board. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, it was good. I, I really enjoyed the trip. The flight down was nice. Um, although Kip, like you, I never had a tailwind the whole time. Uh, I had just a little less of a headwind coming home, but even then, it it, it was it was yeah. a pretty steady five to ten mile an hour headwind. So I don't know how that always seems to work out for sun and fun, but this is the second yeah. year that it's been exactly like that. Yeah, well, at least we enjoyed that front on the ground after it moved in. The northern headwind going back, we enjoyed the weather on the ground. 
that was that was nice. All right, well, good deal. Um, let's uh, let's jump right into this topic of uh, cross countries since we're coming off of Sun and Fawn, and we all kind of had some longer flights to get there. Uh, let's uh, before we get into the the hows and the whys, Kip. Why don't you start by giving us a little bit of your background, your your aviation background, how you kind of got into the Sonics, and and uh, and then we'll jump into okay. cross countries. Okay, uh, been flying since I was seventeen. Um, got the private, took a few years, and got my instrument, thinking I was going to be a controller, and I, I I couldn't do that. So they told me I could be a CFI if I got my commercial at the school. So I did that CFI for a few years, jump pilot. And then moved to Atlanta and finally could afford a kit plane and flew my friends cold. And for an airframe kit of $6,500, I bought a cold and built that. Um, flew it for about 10 years. Of course, at about 57 miles an hour average. Was looking for more speed and hence the YX. And uh, started it in 2007 and actually built it at work. Found some shop space. I was on call for flights and would do four or five hours in a day right next to a shop with 15 AMPs, every tool and chemical I could need, Aladine, everything was right there. So it was perfect. Uh, got that done and then started flying and just realized it was a great tool for travel. I mean, it's not first class maybe, but just having something that Anything I could do to not fly on an airliner just gives me great satisfaction. All of a sudden, I'm using this thing to go to a funeral, a wedding, Christmas, family in Kansas. And, you know, it's just things start adding up and kind of got the idea to maybe start checking off all these states and and just start flying. I don't mind freezing in my plane, nearly ground looping it, (laughs) running from weather, doing all this other stuff if I don't have to get on an airliner, so... That's kind of uh, been the motivation for a lot of my my flying. I try to use it as a tool, and so far, it's uh, I think I have seventy eight thousand miles on it now, according to my GPS odometer. Let's hit the uh, the the first thought, and I'm, I've heard this numerous times that the Sonics is not really a traveling machine. It's really only good for just local goofing off flights, and uh, I, I guess the 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 first premise is that. Although that might be what it was intended for, and that might be what it's really good at, there's absolutely no reason you can't make it work to travel all over the place. And so I'd like you just to kind of talk about that as we as we segue into this. T- I think it's a matter of perspective. Um, kind of like building a plane, the harder the challenge, the more you get out of it. Is, is it easy to sit in a jet and push a button and you, and you in two hours you're halfway across the country and sipping champagne yeah but when you land there you're just there okay you could take an ultralight across the country that's going to be a great adventure somewhere in between is going to be a sonics where you have a few more challenges but when you get there um in my perspective it's that's part of the satisfaction of i just took a vfr airplane weighs 700 pounds no autopilot just me and the machine i created and it took me to this place so that's my motivation you know, I I fly bigger stuff that even a Cessna, you know, 172 can have an autopilot. And you're just sitting there droning along and nothing against autopilots. I'm just saying it just takes you that much more out of the element of you and your machine. So anything will get you there, I say, if you just wait long enough. And it's not like we're super slow, but uh, I think it's very capable. We just 
you know, have the VFR restrictions. And um, as I was planning on touching on later, you know, if you fly these things around in the summer, in the morning, if you just get going in the morning and you're down by afternoon, you can pretty much just about go anywhere unless there's just a huge system that's clogging up the country. But, um, it, you know, they'll get you there. Yeah, so I, I like what you said, though, about attitude. Um, if it's purely as a way to get you from point A to point B, you're probably not really going to enjoy it. You're not. It's not really. You're not going to get the the same level of satisfaction. No. If it's about the journey and the adventure, you're gonna you're gonna dig it and you're really gonna enjoy it. I look at it as you know those of us who have ridden motorcycles cross country. It's it's a lot like having a sport bike. Um, yeah, it'll get you there. It'll get you there fast. Um, but you know you're not going to have all the creature comforts of having that uh, the big gold wing or the uh, the the Mercedes to ride in. Okay, well, um, let's uh, let's go over a few of the major considerations that come to mind. So, considerations for traveling via Sonics. Kip, why don't you just uh, run down the major differences of uh, of a Sonics versus a typical GA airplane, specifically when we're talking about cross country travel? Okay, well, it's best solo. Okay. Uh, a passenger is going to take up uh, the right seat, which can hold stuff like tents. If you're doing that, it's going to, of course, cut into your performance. But also, you can kind of stretch out a little bit. You can, if you can move your legs just sideways for a little bit onto you know, the right side rudder pedals, that's worth a lot. Not to mention, I think our airplanes, I mean, speaking for mine, but we're all pretty similar. You get near the FCG, and it starts to get the you know the pitch stability starts to get really close to neutral, if not slightly negative, if you're really FCG. So that's a little more flying. Um, effort, just being light and um, and having some space is good. And I, I want to add here that, well, we'll get into this in terms of planning, but a schedule is just not having a schedule. Since we're VFR, um, it's best to say how far can we get today versus we need to get there today. Let's just go until this is this is my philosophy on the long trips is don't plan much because uh when you're limited by by weather as we are it's uh that's where you can get into trouble too if you really have to be somewhere but for the most part just keep it light and carry some basic tools and things you'll need which we'll we can get into later yeah the um the size of the cockpit i mean it's no surprise that the sonics is a relatively small cockpit and so if you're going someplace you, you probably want to give some thought as to what all you're going to take with you. And, and like you said, going by yourself makes it a whole lot easier to take more of the stuff you may want. Uh, the other thing you also touched on is the handling characteristics. The Sonics is uh, it's a delight to fly. It's so light and responsive. But that means it's a hands-on machine the whole time you're flying it. That it is. Yes. Now, you know, having a second person could... Take the controls for a while too, but uh, the long trips I've done with someone with me, which aren't real long ones, but it definitely was uh, a little bit more of a burden. Nothing against them, but operationally speaking, it was nice to have that extra space. So, Gary, you've done a fair amount of uh, of long flying in both your Mall and um, your Sonics. What what are the other major differences that kind of jump out? Typical GA versus Sonics for cross country travel. Well, the thing I've found is, is basically the category of the aircraft we're flying, these, these light support experimentals, 
especially being feather light. You know, I think I'm probably running about 675 or so. But let's just say we're around 700 pounds, like Kit mentioned. After getting a little bit of experience, especially with the cross country, now I am really cognizant of the airports I plan to land into to make sure I have adequate crosswind capabilities uh, for the runways. You know, I had an incident in Oakland. Uh, in Oklahoma one time that really caught me surprised as I was landing for fuel, found out they did not have fuel. You know, you call the number for fuel, they don't have any idea what you're talking about. You know, it was one of those yep. kind of experiences. And uh, it was just a single runway. And, uh, it, you know, I, I, so I had to climb in the plane, fly another 50 miles, which wasn't the trouble, but the winds were, were howling pretty much as they typically do in Oklahoma anyway. Uh, there were a bunch of uh, buildings right along the runway. Well, I got about 25 feet into my, my takeoff roll, and all of a sudden I found myself at about 25, 30 feet, cocked about 90 degrees sideways behind the power curve with nowhere to go, um, except to pull the throttle and just ride it out. Fortunately, I missed all the concrete culverts and everything else and, and oh. didn't hurt either the plane or myself, but it certainly was a wild ride. So I think if we look at the difference between categories of aircraft, uh, our light weight really, we have to be extra careful in where we're going to with the winds and make sure we, you know, we, we don't exceed the capability of the aircraft. It has nothing to do with us. We have to realize what our limitations is in the equipment that we're flying as well. So look for a cross, you know, cross one raise at airports when you start flight planning for your fuel. Yeah, and the, the other thing that I guess we, we should hit is the, um, the, the fuel... Uh, the limited amount of fuel in a Sonics. Now, we talked about this in our last episode with auxiliary fuel, but for most people, you're going to be somewhere around three hours, give or take, of fuel range. And uh, and that's typically a little lower than most GA airplanes are. So that's another consideration that, that enters into your thinking when you start talking about traveling via Sonics. Yeah, it can certainly play a part into it. But, you know, fortunately in the United States, we've got so many airports, and most of the time we can get fuel starting within a three-hour range, you know, plus or minus 30 minutes, depending what kind of power plant we have. Okay. Any but other, also, oh, go ahead. Well, well, keep in mind, um, you know, I've had to sit down with Mike in the middle of Iowa um, because our fuel burn is a little higher than we were anticipating, and so we diverted to a nearest airport, which, according to ForeFlight, had fuel. We land, and they did have fuel, but there was nobody there, and so we had to wait an hour after we made the phone call on, at the FBO, you know, on a sticky note on the window, and some guy came out and unlocked fuel pumps for us. So, um, you know, you, you can't rely a lot on the electronic uh, information you're getting, you know, in the cockpit. On well, fuel. I always try to verify from more than one source because of that point, and I always try to make sure that they specify it's 24-hour fuel, like credit card not fuel on demand. I, I don't even trust those fuel on demands anymore. Yeah, I'm almost to the point that I won't stop unless it's 24-hour self-serve. It just, you, you get burned too many times. Yeah, yeah, and I've been burned coming back from Texas the same way. I've landed at an airport that said it had fuel, and they didn't have fuel. It was a, it was a uh, agricultural airport, and um, it was on a Saturday, and they weren't there. So jump back in the plane. I have a half-hour reserve and go to the next airport. Yeah, well, let's yep. uh, let's get into the um, since we're talking about fuel and uh, let's get into the flight planning and the preparation stage. So, uh, continuing this thread of, of what else do we need to do 
when we're thinking about planning a Sonics cross country. We talked about fuel. What else? Well, well if this- we're talking about trying to, to fly these things, we got to remember they leak like a sieve if you get into any rain. So you might want to yeah. carry yourself a nice handy towel or two. Definitely. Yep, it drips right on the instrument panel there. Yep, it does. So In my airport. And you can soak it up with or at least try to protect your instruments and keep them shorting something out. Yep, the towel that I use to actually drape over my windshield so I don't get fuel on it also doubles as my rain towel. Yeah, that's Carry a good a point because normally if you're flying in the local area, uh, you can avoid the rain just by choosing not to fly right then. But when you're on the road, uh, sometimes the rain is unavoidable. So you probably ought to anticipate that and be prepared when you're making that trip away from home. That is correct. All right, what about uh, flight planning tools? Kip, what do you like to use when you sit down and and start planning your route? Well, this may go against the grain a little bit, but my flight planning is just head the general direction. And when I get tired and I want to land, I'll land. And uh, as was said before, it's pretty much finding a runway into the wind. So my flight planning is a check of all the nodems en route to make sure there's no airport closures. There's no NOTAMs for fuel, not available, and no TFRs. And I just hope that everything else is kind of okay. And for the most part, it has been, um, because I don't know exactly when I'm going to want to stop or what looks interesting. So uh, that's my flight planning. Well, that's taking adventure to the extreme right there. Well, I try to stop at new airports. I've been to 223, and I actually have a list, and if if I'm getting somewhere and I've that airport looks interesting. Let me see if I've been there before. And if I haven't, I'll stop there and see who's there and see what's uh, what is there. Maybe nothing is there, but that's still kind of interesting. Take a picture and yeah, I used to do check a lot it of off. Airport hopping too. Back in the old days when they actually had a lot of the uh, the business cards, I used to collect those by the bundles and mm-hmm. plastered everywhere. You know, I, I probably roughly conservative. I've probably been to over five hundred airports. Uh, in my escapades, but many times, like when I go for flights during the during the day, uh, I'll just try to do what you do, Kip. Is I'll just go to a new airport, just go to new, just yeah. to go to one, whether yeah, there's much there new- or not, just something different. And it does add a challenge exactly. to it. It really is a good experience if people have not been doing that on a regular basis, because even though we fly the airplanes all the same, basically the same way, when you go to someplace new, you do have to kind of scout the area a little bit and think about how you're going to attack mm-hmm. the. The, the traffic pattern, if there happens to be such a thing, or you know what you have to do for uh, obstacle clearance procedures, and and just the whole gambit. So it just it just really adds a little extra challenge to the flight, makes it more interesting. I, I like the AOPA flight planner. Uh, you know, it helps you plot your 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 airport stops and your fuel burn and all that, but it ties in real nicely with their AOPA airport database. And in the database for the airport. It tells you, you know, all the information you need, but it has that comments field. And in the comments, you can find things like 24-hour self-service fuel, if there's a really good restaurant on the field or a short walk away. I look for that mm-hmm. stuff. If there's a comment about an airport and they say, hey, this is a great stop and, you know, go to the Burger King at the end of the runway, that, that jumps right yeah. to the top of my list. <laughs> yeah, if you want to talk about specific flight, flight plan procedures, you know, I, I, I tend to have to start several days ahead of time. You know, I'll start looking at the big radar pictures, you know, nationally as well as regionally. 
you know, check various sources, you know, this uh, weather underground, whether it's uh, the weather channel, because sometimes you get some variances that get a better idea what's going on. I use for my electronic flight bag, I like the FlyQ program, which used to belong to AOPA initially as well, but now Seattle Avionics runs it all by themselves, and I really enjoy that app. But I'll also look secondarily, again, when we talked about fuel to, ver- to make sure we can verify that there might be something there. Another on-site uh, online web service that I really like is AirNav. Um, not a lot of bells and whistles, but they do have a, uh, a flight planner tool in there where you can plug in what kind of fuel rates, what kind of legs that you want, uh, what kind of runways that you need, what kind of gas. And it does a really good job of picking up some really cheap, fuel prices along your route plan, uh, route plan. And sometimes I'll take the AirNav plan and then plug it into my fly queue and see what the differences are and just kind of pick and choose and modify again based on fuel routes, you know, crosswind, crosswind runway capabilities and so forth of that nature as well. So I always look for more than one site and verify whether it's AOPA, you know, fly queue for flight Garmin, Whatever it is, and if you get really concerned, most of them do have phone numbers in these days when it doesn't really cost us anything to, to dial uh, interstate. There's no reason not to make a quick phone call if you're really concerned to say, hey, is it really 24-hour self-serve fuel or do we have to call somebody? Yeah, that AirNav fuel planner, um, Gary, you turned me on to that a couple years ago on our, our Oshkosh trip. And uh, like you said, you can, you can search by fuel type. So you can plug in MoGas, and if there's MoGas along your route – It'll pop those sites right out. And, yeah, it does uh, a much I, better I job. Like to Mo- Mogas. So the other site that I like to do, and, and again, <laughs> I'm, I guess I'm telling on myself a little bit. There's a website called flytolunch.com, and it has a database of airport restaurants and all that. So I'll plug my my tentative route in and just see what restaurants are along the route. Because if there's a really good barbecue shack a little off to the right, I'm going a little off to the right. <laughs> oh, you know, having flown with you a couple times, Jeff, you're a real grazer. I gotta say, I mean, you you got you guys pack a lunch like you're out there for the whole day. You're gonna be sitting on that tarmac. So yeah, for anybody who's never flown with Jeff, if you want to eat, you need to hook up with him. Well, you know, that's okay. why I can only fly for like an hour because uh, I got a big meal. I gotta hit the bathroom. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John. John, I know you like the uh, the tech side of it. What are your favorite flight planning tools? Well, like uh, like Gary, I use um, lately. I've been using Wingax, but um, what I'll tend to do is I'll either go on you know the couple of days before the trip, I'll jump on the AOPA website and start planning my trip, looking at fuel options because I'll turn on the fuel. Uh, prices uh filter on it and then start thinking okay if i can drop in here and i'm trying to stretch my legs because i i I do have auxiliary fuel so i can go a little you know 45 minutes to an hour longer than most uh jabiru powered sonics um to drop into the most uh fuel effective uh airports along the route and and maximize that and uh, then I'll, I'll download that into whatever app I'm using. Um, I flip between FlyQ, WingX um, to do my, my uh, onboard uh, routing. And then um, 
then fly it. Of course, you know, when you're in the middle of the air and like last time Mike and I were flying to Oshkosh, had a little extra headwinds. We were not going to make it to our planned destination. We, we drop into another airport. And so, you know, you always have to keep those uh, options open. And you may end up paying 50 cents to a dollar more now a gallon for fuel, but that's just what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, Kip, uh, when you're getting ready to launch, do you have a particular inspection route or routine that you'd like to do? Um, do other areas that you check to make sure that you're really ready to launch that cross country? Yeah. Before that, let me just add some of the things I look at too. Uh, the Weather Channel website has what's called a weekly planner chart. I think it's kind of hard to find, but if you do, it's really pretty good. It just kind of gives you three or four days out. It kind of shows what precipitation you might be up against, so you might check that out. Of course, the old NOAA weather depiction chart is pretty good. Um, It's observed conditions, not forecast, but um, I like that one. Um, And I mentioned uh, the NOTAM and TFR check, but those are two charts I use. Uh, right before I go, um, in terms of getting the airplane ready, I've always done, say, a post-condition inspection or an oil change plus an hour or two just to, just to shake it down, you know, which is pretty pretty common sense. Um, it seems like every time I put my cowl on, another cylinder's hotter or an EGT's hotter. And I don't know, you just see some usual or maybe unusual things. And then I get all my, make sure I have a little checklist for the things I want to take with me. Ratchet straps I consider a uh, mandatory because that's just, you know, the ropes don't work well with our little tiny loops there. Enough tools for an oil change, safety wire, uh, and pliers. Aircraft cover I keep with me every flight. If I end up 12 miles away from my home airport and has to sit there all night, you want to cover on it. Um, something I learned from Sun and Fun is maybe a small battery tender. Thanks for yours, Jeff. Yeah, no um, <laughs> They make large battery tenders, which I had in my hangar, which weighs about two pounds, but they have small ones, which weigh about eight ounces, which is cool. Same brand. I track oil usage, which is about an ounce an hour. It's a little more now. And I took an old K&N squirt bottle, which is eight ounces, and it's graduated. You can see it on the side, and you don't need a funnel or anything special and you can just uh i fly a couple hours i'll just squeeze two ounces in and it kind of keeps my oil level where i want it and of course always put the oil stuff in a ziploc baggie because there's something about altitude and once you open those caps they're always going to be messy that's kind of my airplane inspection checklist for uh, equipment to go along Okay. Um, John, Gary, what, what do you guys do when you when you look your plane over before going? Well, basically the same kind of thing. I, I carry two quarts of oil with me and a funnel in a Ziploc bag, like, like Kip says, and a, a big wad of uh, paper uh, towels in there just because it's a mess, and, and it does always seem to leak. Um, so you can top off the oil on the on the various stops or when you get to the destination. Um, but uh, tie downs, uh, extra tools, uh, multi tools really handy. Um, 
you know, your stakes for tying down in case you don't have a place to, to a hard point to tie it down to. Uh, you go to Oshkosh, you got to have tie downs that you can, you know, dig into the ground. Um, and obviously a canopy cover. So when you talk about basic tools, what do you have in your basic toolkit? Well, I, I carry a um, I carry a three sixteenth socket, um, a multi tool, which is just about everything else. I also carry a little uh, electric uh, screwdriver so that I can take my cowl off because uh, my cowl is is tied on with uh, with screws, and so it it makes it easy to to take the uh, the screws out without having to. Get carpal tunnel, you know, turning all those screws out. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good point. I I think if you're new to this, you could pretty much just say, take every tool you need for an oil change and a spark plug change. Just kind of make note of all those things you're using. And I have mine in a little go to Lowe's or Home Depot, and they have a little tool bag. It's about the size of a shoebox, and just get a duplicate of each one of those tools. And you're on the road, you can do. I've done an oil change on the road up with Larry Ingard up in Idaho halfway through my huge trip. You know, I needed oil and just did the complete oil change with everything in my bag. I guess I've been pretty lucky. I, I typically don't have to add any oil in between my oil changes. You know, when we start speaking of oil changes, you know, typically with the AeroVs, they recommend 25 hours. I'm not sure what you guys with the Jabroos are doing. Um, but as we discussed before, Jeff, if I'm going to do a trip, you know, say down to Sun and Fun and, and back, you know, which is going to be, you know, 3,000 miles or something like that in 40 hours, whatever it happens to be, as I typically will not do an oil change. Um, I'll go ahead and run it out for that 50 hours or so. You know, I may have to add a couple ounces of oil in there uh, for the extended time. But uh, we, we, as we discussed before, when we start talking about the short duration as far as time interval, uh, I don't think I'm really hurting the engine uh, by extending the oil change out in that kind of a particular circumstance. I carry the basic tools too, you know, flat reverse Phillips head that's on just a tiny little uh, stubby screwdriver. I've got a combination 3 sixteenths and 7 eighths, or rather 3 eighths and 7 sixteenths inch uh, uh, open-end wrench to use, a pair of pliers or a multi-tool, something like that. A little bit of oil. You know, I've got one of the old thermostyle uh, fuel tanks, and so that's that's kind of an item that if you, you pop the rubber on that, all of a sudden you're really kind of screwed. There's not anywhere that you can run down and grab one. Uh, so I will carry an extra uh, fuel cap, those thermos fuel caps for myself, because it's not a readily available item. You know, I think almost everything else, if you really needed oil, you needed a spark plug or anything else like that, you can, you know, buy some cheapy tools and, and whatever you need to if you really want to accomplish something like that. So I always look for the things that I can't get, you know, instantly, you know, without having to really try to expedite something overnight from somebody like, you know, Aircraft Spruce or Sonics. And, and hope you get them there in a couple of days' time. I add a, a couple more tools to that list. Um, I, I make sure I can pull my wheel pants off and I can air up a tire. So I have a little Walmart <laughs> inflator, and um, I, I keep a couple extra screws for my wheel pants in case I lose one in the grass, and a little tube of Loctite. And then the last tool that I add is uh, a 3 uh, long Allen wrench. So if I need to make a, an adjustment to the carb... I can pull the lock screw out, and I can make that carb adjustment. And I just keep that in there, and it's just a little wrench that sits in the bottom of my tool bag. Yeah, I've got a carb wrench, too, that I carry as well. I didn't forget about that. But you're right, because you will need to make, you know, it's not uncommon to have to make uh, mixture adjustments flying from my altitude down to, this, down to the lowlands. Oh, and one of the things I do is I do carry a spare uh, 
tube and a bike pump instead of a, you know, I don't know, Jeff, you carry a little electric compressor. I just carry a little bike pump so I can pump up a tire. Yeah, Walmart has these really great um, inflators in the auto department. They come in a little clear plastic baggie. The great thing about them is they run on a 12-volt. They've got a little light, a very long cord, so you can plug them into your cigarette lighter and get out to the wheel. And they thread onto the valve stem rather than push on with, like, a little locking lever. And so it makes it super easy to air up a tire. They're about 10 bucks at Walmart, so definitely the ones to get. I may have to look for one of those. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, I'm, I'm going shopping. Or my birthday is coming up here in a few months, Jeff. You know, just just keep that in mind. Well, Gary, I'll buy two if you just buy me a beer. Okay. <laughs> There's always stocking stuffers, you know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, let's talk about uh, when you're in the air and navigating, um, Kip. What do you what do you do for navigation? Are you an old school pointed, you know, in the general direction, or do you have various tools that you really like to use? Well, it's very simple and probably uh, not something you'd want to teach, but I put my destination in if it's 800 miles away and just head that direction with my trusty Garmin 495, which I think in 700 hours of operation, it's gone out for like 10 seconds one time. So it's been pretty good. Um, And then along the way, that's when I decided to stop in and see something new. But what I do if I lose, if I were to lose that signal, I have a little heading bug on my Dynan D180, and I just kind of keep it updated. I do, I guess we missed talking about, or maybe we're getting there, um, in-route tools. I, I use ForeFlight uh, WorkPace for ForeFlight on my iPad. It's their iPad, I should say. If that was not the case, I would probably use paper charts. Um, I'm not going to, I don't want to pay for Something like four flight, I guess I'm cheap. But uh, my plan is if I lose my primary GPS and say the four flight didn't work, that GPS didn't work, then I would just kind of follow my heading bug and revert back to pilotage. And uh, pretty spoiled though, I've never actually had to do that, and navigation's not much of a concern. You use four flight for your digital sectional charts. Is that what you're saying? I do. Yeah. Well, okay. just in the last four years, let's say that was what we transitioned to at work before that I was all paper. I have a, every sectional for the United States that I bought at one time or another. And, um, I don't have any problem with paper, but it's definitely easier on an iPad. Yeah. It's a lot easier to unfold on an iPad. It is. Yes. I still like drawing the old line though. And I would do that. If, um, if, uh, four flight wasn't around, maybe I would pay for four flight. I don't know. Maybe I'm addicted now. As long as someone else is paying for it, I'll use that. Well, I've been using a, an app on my iPhone called uh, flightplan.com. It ties in with the website, and uh, it's kind of a no-frills. Um, it's a free app, and it gives you GPS and uh, sectional, so moving map on a sectional, yep. just using your built-in um, iPhone GPS, and it actually works really well. I use that as my backup. So mm, Good. Yeah, I've tried them, too. You can get IFR and VFR charts, I believe. I hate to pay uh, you know, for ForeFlight only to get moving map sectional access that seems like a lot of money for just that yeah i like i said i don't i don't know if i would pay if i had to i'm getting lazy i went ahead and bought a lifetime subscription to fly i really like the features the ease of use um and all the facility and all and all the little bells and gizmos that go along with it so i've just kind of gotten spoiled 
Now, what do you run Flight you on, Gary? You know, I, I as you probably remember, I actually redid my instrument panel and enlarged it at least probably 50%, uh, if not more. And so I actually have my iPad Mini uh, 4 that mounts absolutely dead center on my panel um, because that's mostly what I'm looking at as I'm watching for airspace and I'm navigating and everything else that goes along with it. So it, it sits right up there, right in my view, without obstructing any of my outside outside view at all. So it's just front and center, and I've, I've been doing that really for, for years now. Uh, John, what are you using? Right now I'm using a, uh, an iPad Air um, with running Wing X. Um, it's on a RAM mount that kind of hangs um, off to the side um, at an angle to me. So it, it feels like I'm in a kind of a 360 cockpit because I can see it. I can see all my instruments on the panel. It doesn't obstruct anything. And uh, unfortunately, I, I really do tend to rely on it way too much. Uh, I find myself... If I can't, you know, get a fix or, or figure out where I am, I'm, I'm, I'm like, oh, my God, what am I going to do if I have to actually look out the window and navigate? Well, I used to put mine on a clip, too, over to the side, too, but then you get a crick on your neck because you're looking at it all the time. So I'm really happy the way I had and went bit, bit the dust and redid my instrument panel and just mount it right dead center right in front of you. I'm kind of leaning towards Kip and just doing a, a, a no-frills uh, out-the-window paper chart kind of thing. Old school. Yeah, you're going to get lost. Works every. Well, works I'll every be time. following you. So. <laughs> All right. Well, um, so when you're in the cockpit, a few things you know I always try to have handy. Want to have uh, a couple of bottles of water, uh, especially on those longer, you know, kind of mid-afternoon flights. It starts to get a little warm. Need a little water to stay hydrated. Um, any kind of snacks that you're going to want. But the one, one thing that I always seem to forget about, and I forgot about it again on the first leg going to Sun and Fun, is sunscreen. You kind of think that the windows are going to block out the UV, and that doesn't always happen. Um, I was starting to get a little tender after the first, you know, five or six hours of the sun beating down on me. Yeah, if you want to start talking about those kind of procedures, too, I've, I've gotten to the point now where I, I do, if I'm going to go real cross-country, I wear long sleeve shirts, a hat. Uh, I also have some of the little... Uh, uh, sticky sun blockers that you can position around different places to really block some of the exact sun that's coming off, whether it's bouncing off the wing and coming directly through the canopy. Uh, one trip going to Oshkosh and back, I had short sleeves on, and the towels that we're using normally to sop up the rain, I was trying to cover up my arm on the sun side of the canopy. And so now I've just gone ahead and bought, I actually like to wear black, believe it or not, uh, like one of those outdoor black fishing shirts long sleeve so not only does it have a uv and sun protector on there but the dark color doesn't uh, have a lot of reflection onto my instruments and in particularly my ipad uh, for my navigation so yeah you really do really want to wear something long sleeve a good hat um, be nice if you had a wide brim if you don't use regular headsets i know you guys like the halo and the in-ear style but i still wear the traditional a and r headsets so i'm kind of limited to a ball cap so you dress in all black, just like Johnny Cash, huh? Uh, yeah, except I sing better. <laughs> I tend to uh, lather up with a lot of sunscreen before I get in the cockpit. It's just something I've gotten used to with a lot of skiing and outdoor activity. It's just something you do before you get in the plane. Yeah, at the very least, long sleeves. 
it's going to be cool when you get up there if it's hot on the ground and at least put some long sleeves on and a hat. Or even if it's hot, it's still better than getting burnt. Yeah, you know, this is something that, you know, the, the glider community, um, you know, water, hat, sunscreen, that's like on the checklist for every glider flight. But for some reason, it just took me a while to make that connection that in a Sonics, when you're not just doing an hour local flight, you kind of got to go through the same thought process. So for whatever it's worth, uh, don't forget those. Yep. All right. And, uh, Kip, what do you do to kind of manage the... Uh, I don't know, the boredom, the monotony, the fatigue while flying. What what are your techniques to do that? Well, I don't have any real dedicated techniques for that, and I've been really bored and really tired. I think, simply put, what keeps me going is just the fact that I'm up there thinking, wow, I built this thing. It sounds simple, and it's but um, more than once, that thought you know you start thinking back of all the little things you did you look out on the wing and under the firewall and boy i made that fitting i put that thing in and it doesn't get old it just kind of keeps me going i mean you can't read a a smile to your face doesn't it yeah and you know you have to stay with the airplane i don't i don't have an autopilot so do i want to close my eyes a few times yeah um but uh i only fly about two hours and I'm ready, and I'm ready to get out. So um, it's not like I've flown eight hours in the plane at work. When you look down and see six hours and fifty-seven minutes to go, that's that kind of resets the whole Sonics thing. Uh, especially if it's all night, nighttime. You know, at work, this is day, and you can actually look out. And so maybe I'm kind of conditioned to just stick it out, and uh, my attention span is not. So weak that I can't uh, do it. I mean, after three legs, three two-hour legs, Atlanta to Oklahoma City, I'm done for the day. Yeah, when I went out there. It's not like I do it every day, but I was done for the day. So I will reach my limit, but knowing that there's some cool destination on the horizon that I'm going to pull up to and the plane I built kind of keeps me going. That may be simplistic for other people, but... There's not too many other things you can do. If I had an autopilot, I probably would have drifted off a couple times. <laughs> well, All right, Gary. Out longer. I'll go eight or ten hours easily in a day uh, with my iron button on. But, but you know, again, I kind of got I kind of got spoiled as I installed Sirius XM satellite radio into my plane, and so I can just tune you know all kinds of stations in. At least gives me something to listen to and 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 to play with as you're punching buttons and going these long distances. Yeah. Gary would be out on a Saturday, and he would he would stop by the uh, the airport in Colorado Springs, and and he'd say, "Hey, look, where are we going flying?" He says, "Oh, I went down to this place and this place, and I've got about three or four hours in this morning already. Uh, where are we going next?" And for him, that was just oh. getting warmed up. Yeah, yeah, he's a that is that's pretty good. I'm not I'm not I'm not there yet. <laughs> yeah, my happiest time of the day is when I'm flying. I'm not worth thinking about work or anything else I have to do. It just it's just enjoying the sights, scenery, and punching buttons, fiddling with knobs, and challenging myself for the navigation and the flight portion of it. Very good. Well, I tried listening to music, um, you know, cue it up on an iPod or a phone or whatever, but uh, that kind of got old after a while. And then I, I found that listening to a few podcasts, 
in the plane uh, was a lot of fun. So I typically always have a, a playlist of unlistened to podcasts from various places, and I'll throw one of those on, and that, that helps pass some time and kind of keeps my mind from getting too, uh, too far off track. Good idea. All right, well, we talked about some of the things, uh, some of those unexpected things, but um, I just want to kind of go through and <clears throat> what, what other types of unexpected challenges or uh, just things you got to kind of work through um, are, you, are you thinking about in the back of your head when you're making these flights? We talked about the fuel pumps not working, stuff like that, but what else? What else is in the back of your head for those unexpected challenges? Probably for something that you got burned on in a previous flight. Well, uh, Jeff and one of our one, my situation uh, coming out of Reclaw, uh, I landed. You know, we we took off out of Reclaw. I landed 20 minutes away um, at a little airport to refuel and found oil gushing out of my cowl. Um, so you have to be able to. I had a decal, found the oil leak problem, had to buy oil, and then uh, you know adjust to that. And I was about ready to make a call to say, okay, I got to fly commercial home and then figure out how to get my airplane home later. So you could have a major uh, mechanical malfunction somewhere where it's going to ground you. So you have to have a plan for that. Yeah, it's kind of like a nightmare scenario. We always worry about it. In my case, it was an oil, uh, the return line from my uh, aerobatic collector uh the fitting had just come a little loose but it was it was pumping enough oil out that it was really nerve-wracking my uh failure story was major failure was my canopy getting destroyed coming back from oshkosh a few years ago first fuel stop in indiana on the way back to atlanta and after 600 engine starts or whatever taxi outs i got complacent in the wind car it and took it right to the limit of the the cable which torqued it and put about a hole the size of a basketball in my canopy and i thought wow i guess what am i going to do am i going to airline home am i going to airline back here and fix it i thought about 20 or 30 hours of labor in indiana missing work you know how's this going to work so I went to the FBO and said, hey, I got a problem. She said, you might go over to that hangar over there. There's a couple guys in there that might help you. So I go in there, and there's two guys working on an RV, and they just messed up their canopy. So it's sitting on the side, and within 15 minutes, we're taking a saw to his canopy, and we made a patch, and we riveted it and duct-taped it to the hole in my canopy and within an hour I was back on the road. That's incredible. I made it home that same day <laughs> from a canopy. I mean this anywhere else I was in small town Indiana. Well, so Robert I've gotten lucky. Robert Barber has a story of his canopy being ripped off in the wind in Colorado on his way to Alaska. And it tore off the airplane, and he put it back on with duct tape and continued his trip to Alaska. So yeah, yeah. there's there's a uh, there's well, a lot. I actually needed I needed a curved piece of material, 
you know, to, to kind of cover the shape because structurally it was with the hole in it, it was really flimsy. I really needed something kind of stiff and kind of had a curve. And those guys happened to have a piece of whatever that was, Lexan or plexiglass or something. But uh, so I've, I've gotten pretty lucky. You should, buy, should have bought a lotto ticket that day. Yeah. I just wanted to get home. But uh, that's something to consider is you might be airlining home. I was one start away at Sun and from, from probably renting a car this year with my coils. I had one more start left. So that's always an option, rental car or uh, airline. I think that that goes to mentality. Um, if you're willing to do things like that, if you're willing to just park it and uh, an airline home or rent a car, uh, you're probably going to avoid making that that <laughs> short-sighted decision to push it when you shouldn't. If you go mm-hmm. into it knowing that, hey, if something happens, this is what I'm going to do, you're probably going to be okay. Again, try well, to yeah. like an adventure, and, and you'll probably be okay. Yeah, I think we all, if we're doing cross-countries in these airplanes, we have to have that in our back pocket that, okay, if I do have to set down someplace, you know, I, I will figure out how to get home and then get back to get my plane home. Well, something else that uh, happened to me that um, I just, you know, when I, when I take off and I, uh, I'm going to stop for gas, even if it says 24-hour self-serve, you know that, um, I always have uh, enough cash to buy gas because there will be that one place that their credit card machine is down, and if you can give them 40 bucks for gas, you're filled up and going. But if not, you're kind of out of luck. So make sure you got cash. Make sure you can pay for your gas, uh, you know, to in a way that you didn't think you were going to have to do. And then, uh, Gary, this is a trick that that you, you turn me on to is um, have a supply of quarters to hit up the uh, drink machine uh, oh, in that. case that that's the only thing that'll work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I do know of. Uh, well, it's not really a horror story, but um, we were flying into Oshkosh and we were meeting uh, uh, Jim Hankey from California outside of, uh, in, um, a town outside of Oshkosh for the night. He had already had a hotel booked, but he got in a little late and they had given up his room. So, you know, he didn't have a place to stay that night and ended up, you know, figuring out a place that was next to a hangar someplace at an airport. So you have to have that in your option too. Um, your schedule isn't quite normal, uh, flying VFR, and you might be too late, and the hotel will give yep. up your room. Well, when we talk about some of the positive things that you can experience on some of these trips, I remember <laughs> flying one time out to uh, to Oregon, and I landed on the coast there, and I was working on the plane, and uh, my wife at the time was was talking to some people at the fence line, and for the longest time, you know, I finally got the plane tied down, fueled, whatever else I had to do with it come to find out that the people had used to fly, but they kind of gave it up based on age or whatever. But uh, they knew we were kind of just, you know, sightseeing and touristy and camping and all that kind of stuff. They actually invited us to their home. They had a nice A-frame glass-fronted home on the cliff of the Oregon coast overlooking the sea. Put us up, fed us, wined us, dined us, and then took us back to the airport the next morning. So you'd be surprised what you can run across as you make some of these trips. Yeah, that's a good uh, good point, Gary. Um, I had a trip down in Texas where it, it was getting dark, 
and I needed to stop for the night sometime. And uh, I just sort of pulled off at this little residential air park and asked the owner if I if I could tie down in his, the driveway to his hangar. And he said, oh, no, you don't want to tie down there. Go ahead and bring it on inside. Put me up in this little condo inside his hangar. Um, you know, took me into town to grab, grab a burger and basically gave me free run of the place. And just, you know, just one airplane yeah. person to another. It was great. It was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, it's amazing. And when you try to tell the non-flying people that you associate with uh, the type of hospitality, whether it's the you know the, the, the courtesy cars at the airport that you see down the, the asphalt as you're driving it, or you know whether it happens to be some kind of a luxury car, or people shuttling you back and forth, uh, they just are clueless to the to the life that we can live. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's uh, let's close this out with. Uh, sort of our our favorite experiences and what we think the sort of the rewards that keep us going on these longer prospects. So, Kip, over to you. Um, I think it's just uh, the new the new experience. I mean, what our little planes can do. I the pinnacle of my travels were probably going into the Catalina Island Airport. I mean, I'm out of Atlanta and I'm over the Pacific Ocean over cold water landing on this little mountain coming out of the ocean and you know you can't really buy that you i mean you can try to but you're not going to buy that feeling if you didn't build it 18 days prior i'd have been i was at kitty hawk i was the first flight airport and then here i was same month i was landing at uh, catalina island i mean and everything in between the meteor crater route 66 just, uh, you know, the world is your oyster, and we have a country that we can see whatever terrain, ocean, desert, whatever we want. And you just have to have the will to go there. And, you know, it may be a really positive adventure or maybe slightly negative, maybe very negative. But when you're back at home, it's a lifetime memory. And uh, uh you just got to do it. You just got to maybe get a little out of comfort zone, point the airplane where you want to be maybe that night and just see what happens. And if you built your airplane right the first time, advice to builders is if you think I could save a few minutes here, just get it right. So later on down the road, you're not having to retighten it or watch after that. Just get it right the first time. These airplanes are simple and reliable. They'll get you there. Do it. And, and you'll have uh, incredible memories. Yeah, we talked about the uh, joking about the headwinds both directions at Sun and Fun. But all that aside, that was a minor inconvenience to make the trip down there. And uh, we can in laugh exchange, now. We can yeah, laugh in now. exchange for that, that inconvenience, I had a great trip to Sun and Fun. I got to hang out with a bunch of people. I really enjoyed it. All those little things are forgotten. It was a great experience. Don't be afraid to go after them just because it's a long flight or you might have to work through a, a little challenge. You know, Jeff, I would say that almost every, actually every cross country I've taken, even the negative things, I, I turn to as positives. So I think they're they're just uh, they're they're interesting aspects to a trip instead of just being a boring trip. So I look forward to every one of them. All right, Gary, um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, the same thing. You know, as soon as you get back, you'll forget the little things and you'll start planning your next trip. <laughs> um, but just think of all the, the, you know, the unusual things that you can encounter. Some 
sometimes, you know, the gracious hospitality. I even had one trip one time when the winds were howling again. I'll, I'll pick on Oklahoma because it always seems to want to try to beat my ass up in the wind in this little plane. Uh, yep. This guy put me in a hangar overnight. Uh, next morning, had to get some fuel. It was howling out there. So he, he actually brought the truck inside there, filled me up. And, uh, you know, he says, you know what? You crawl in the plane. Go ahead and shut your canopy. I'll pull you out there and point you in the wind, and then you can start up and taxi off. <laughs> how, how's that for service? Yeah. Yeah, and you really do meet a lot of good airplane people along the way. What airport was that, Gary? I want to make sure it's on my list. Uh, is it is it Woodford or Woodrun or I, I have to look it up. Or I always have to look it up again, but it always seems to be one of those airports I kind of stop for for fuel. Uh, plus, they have three runways, which is great for that area of the country. Uh, I can always you know, find something that I can land on somewhere or another, even if it's one of their taxiways, which are you know astronomically wide. That's one thing we didn't really talk about is the uh, especially the the Midwest, uh, Colorado, uh, Texas. There was a lot of World War II training airports that have the three runways, which makes it really quite nice. Some of them aren't well-maintained, but you could land you in guys any direction. Or listening to our podcast that live in the East Coast, where I grew up in Florida, uh, there's, kind of a, there's kind of an adage. When you're east of the Mississippi, they have ropes for tie-downs. When you're west of the Mississippi, you start seeing chains everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's close this episode out with uh, any final advice to uh, to builders as they start to think about cross countries, as they start to kind of do some planning, and then uh, then we'll put this issue to to rest. Well, I just keep thinking about the old adage, you know, time to spare, go by air. Yeah, and it really speaks to mindset. Uh, embrace that this is a journey, and uh, you're going to work through any of those issues and uh, enjoy it. Along those lines, I'll have to summarize it. My best advice is, yeah, don't have a schedule or make it very loose. Flexibility, yep, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You you may not get where you want to be that night, but you could be somewhere better. Just Oh, I do have one. One more thing, if you want to talk about that, you know, now that we're dealing with the digital age, it's not so bad. But for those of you guys who are still using paper charts, you want to carry an extra chart for every state around your planned route of, of flight. Because you may not be able to find those charts when you actually figure out you've got to divert because of some nasty thunderstorm someplace. Uh, or if, you're, if you've got the electronic versions, again, download everything that you can around the, the states mm -hmm. that you think you're going to be flying through just to have them in reserve. Yep. All right, John. Uh, final thoughts on advice? No, oh, I think those are that's really great advice. Um, in three weeks, I'm flying down to San Antonio, Texas, for my daughter's uh, graduation. But I've already booked a Southwest flight just in case uh, the weather window isn't isn't open. So smart man. First, first uh, <laughs> priority is to fly myself. Second priority is I'll just fly commercial. I guess my, my final thoughts are if you sit down and you, and you kind of think about your trip, you do your flight planning, you check out, you know, fuel and airports and which ones are good, easy stops and have good runways, do all that ahead of time. You'll get yourself a level of comfort with your route and your upcoming trip. 
And that allows you just to kind of take your mind off it and enjoy the trip. So do your flight planning ahead of time. Make sure it's flexible so you can make those decisions uh, in route. And that'll cut down some of the stress when you're in the air. And then the last thing, um, when possible, you know, fly with somebody else. Go go as a flight of two or a flight of three. Uh, flying with another person in their airplane, um, as you know, like Gary, like we did going to Oshkosh and, you know, Mike and John fly all the time everywhere together. Um, it just really adds a sense of enjoyment to the trip also. So if you can, go as a flight of two. You're going to really dig it, and it's going to make it that much more interesting. Yep, a lot of fun. Don't be afraid to pack light. You know, grab a, a yeah. small change of change of clothes bag and, you know, and, and just go after it and get after it. So you can always buy what you need when you get there. Very true. All right, guys. Well, I think that does it for this topic. Um, Kip, uh, I want to say thanks again for uh, spending a few minutes and, and going through this. Uh, I look forward to seeing your next YouTube video. Um, I don't know where you're going, but I'm sure it'll be interesting. Well, I, I've been slacking a little bit. My fans are restless, but it's been good having, thanks for having me as a guest to you guys. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's an, it's a Sonics honor. Let me tell you. <laughs> it's fun. And I hope to see you guys, uh, hope to see you guys all at Oshkosh. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Like I've said before, um, I, I won't know until probably just a couple weeks before whether I'm going to make it this year, but I plan to try to make it every year. And that is the plan again. I'm going to try and make it yeah. and we'll see if it works out. That's my plan too. No commitments. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't have a track record to keep, unlike some people, so. <laughs> I know. Can't break the pressure's the on. Yep. <laughs> well, I got a quick shout out. Um, so Jabiru North America and uh, Sport Aircraft Services, uh, both the Jabiru companies in Shelbyville, Tennessee, a couple weeks ago they put on a, a really good engine seminar there at their at their operation in Shelbyville. Um, ben Karate and Pete Karate, they uh, they really kind of rolled out the red carpet. There was a couple other Sonics guys there and a whole bunch of other just sort of miscellaneous home builders. Uh, interestingly enough, for this class, um, all the attendees had current airplanes flying behind Jabiru's rather than, you know, either special light sports they were going to buy or other airplanes or just thinking about the Jabiru. So for this particular class, we really got into the the, uh, the inspections and the maintenance and the operating uh, techniques. Uh Ben is a wealth of information, really made the class interesting, and I uh, had a, a lot more appreciation for the continuous refinement that Jabiru's have undergone, having sat through all those presentations. Really enjoyed it. I think the cost was three fifty for the two-day seminar. They do a Friday-Saturday schedule, and they were like full days, Friday and Saturday. So uh, really interesting. If anybody is thinking about taking the, the maintenance seminar, I highly recommend it. I think you will get your money's worth. So big thank you to Ben and Pete, and I uh, look forward to running to you guys in, on the flight line at Oshkosh. Those new Jabberoos are pretty. Well, we did get to see the first stateside fourth-generation Jabberoo. It came in the day before the seminar. We were able to pop the crate open and ooh and ah over it and poke it with a stick and pretty much just <laughs> drool over it. They're pretty cool. They look a lot different. Well, and a lot of those parts are backwards compatible. So if you need new yeah. cylinders, uh, you can put the new ones on. So that's a really big plus, too. Mm -hmm. 
All right. Well, uh, thanks again, guys. Uh, I just want to remind everybody that um, you know you can you can always get the uh, the episode online at sonicsflight.com. You can get the show notes. Um, it looks like our next episode, episode twenty, is going to be on electrical systems. So hopefully, uh, Bob Knuckles from the Aeroelectric Connection is going to be our guest, and we'll talk about uh, electrical systems. Uh, you know, with the Sonics Twist. So I'm looking forward to that discussion. Bob is kind of the man when it comes to experimental aircraft electrical systems. And so he's got 40 years of experience. So that ought to be really good. Wow. And uh, if, you, uh, if you have an idea for an upcoming topic or something you want to tell us about, uh, send us an email at feedback at sonicsflight.com. Uh, tell me that, uh, you know, that we're doing a good job or, or that we're not doing a good job. I, I, I enjoy the feedback. And uh, so far we've, We've been getting kind of steady, positive feedback, so I appreciate that. So with that, I, I guess uh, I'll just uh, wrap it up by saying, uh, Kip, thanks again. And uh, Gary, John, good to hear you guys are out and about, and the weather is treating you right. And uh, we're going to have to get together very soon for the uh, the Mile High Fly-In, so I'm looking forward to that as well. Yeah, I hope it'll be a good time for us. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. All right, well, good deal. Thanks. And thanks, everybody, and, and fly safe. See you. All right. Thank you, guys. Bye. Good night. The views and opinions expressed on the Sonic Slight podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of any individual, company, or organization mentioned on this program. Nothing presented on this podcast should be construed to be the official position or recommendation of anyone not directly associated with Sonic's Flight. Anything that sounds like advice should be carefully considered before being implemented. Remember, you are the pilot in command. Hey, did you guys hear a bunch of like interference? Sounded like somebody shuffling papers and stuff. I did. Yeah, it wasn't was, me. Okay, wasn't maybe me. that was Kit. Maybe he was doing some homework while he talked. We'll have to whoop him. All right, I'm going to go to bed, guys. I got to be up in early in the morning. Yeah. Oh, we didn't talk about your tiny bladder more than once, though. I thought we were going to do that one. Well, you guys kind of shut me down. So. <laughs>